And just today, Amazon announced that they are going to cut back. They announced it or just a rumor, Kirsten? I'm on vacation right now, so I'm not following. I mean, they're kind of cutting back on everything. Well, they should invest more in Alexa because it's garbage. Um, and any and any and any automaker that has uh, integration with them, I feel badly for them because it's also garbage. Because I've tested all those vehicles. The end. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Hitonicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor over at TechCrunch. And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the author of Ludicrous: The Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. I'm Alex Roy, formerly the Director of Special Operations and possibly Futures and Insights at Argo AI and the founder of the Human Driving Association. I'm so happy to be here with both of you. Once again, less filtered. <laughs> yes, what, was, what was your title? Future Insights? No, no, I added that after, after I left the company, but it's on my LinkedIn. Ah, okay. To me, to me, Alex will always be the Director <laughs> of Special Operations. Basically, uh, part of my... I really wanted like a longer, cool title, but uh, I, I had to jump as the company grew. I had to jump through more hoops, and so I decided, you know something, that's my title, and it also reflects what I was actually doing. Can we move on? Yeah. How can there be a better title than director of special ops? Like, well, because let me tell you, I keep getting pigeonholed in conversations. People think I was just working in operations, but. You know, a big part of what I was doing is is being like, uh, you know, whispering like, this is what I think is going to happen. This is what I don't think is going to happen. And that's Futures and Insights. And I titled Cribs from my friend, the very controversial Tom Goodwin. So so owner of, owner, user of Crystal Ball. Is that what you mean? What? Oh, uh, you know something? In the era of FTX and other things, when you bring up a brand I haven't heard of, I'm like, is that real? Is it Crystal Ball? <laughs> like Crystal Ball Ventures? Moving on. Sorry. Just had to inquire about the title. So Alex, I mean, when, when he says he's, he's sort of unfiltered, um, I mean, I got that. So nice. we, we all hung, we're just hanging out in, in Los Angeles and, and I can't remember the last time I saw Alex on a panel at a conference, like at all. Um, but I especially can't remember the last time um, I saw Alex. So uh, sort of really, you know, sink his teeth into a panel discussion the way he did at, at Commotion uh, this last week. Uh, it was a joy to see you out there, Alex. And I have to say, um, I can't also can't remember the last time I watched a panel in which the moderator, not by way of introduction, in the middle of the panel, described <laughs> one of the panel members as a personal hero and a visionary of the industry, um, which I'm Alex Ray... Me? He was talking about you, and I have to oh. say, you took it with uh, with uh, great grace and modesty. It was uh, oh, that's, it was something else. Oh, how, how sweet! How sweet! Can Moving you on. was it was I it fun? Did you did you there. have fun doing a panel? I mean, because it was you and Jeff Tumlin and a couple of other people, and I thought that you guys in particular, the you and Jeff, uh, who by the way is the head of um, well, he's the public transit czar of san francisco basically right and you two had a, had a had a spicy conversation well you know um i've been very quiet except for our episode last week i've been very quiet uh since the uh leaving argo um but i was really uh it was nice to hear someone like jeff tumlin who uh you know is important uh come out and say that uh how disappointed he was about the end of argo because that means that my job or at least the teams that i work with were successful uh, you know, we wanted cities to feel like to believe in in the company being a good actor. And Jeff, he he believed it. Like he he had been watching and reading, and he knew. And so that that was really gratifying to see. I have to say that um, during my week in LA, I was not at Comotion. I was at the LA Auto Show. We were at the Waymo Zeker event together um, on the auto show floor together, and then I had a couple of other little side events. But. Um, Maybe because of my relationship with you, Alex, in the podcast or just in general, um, completely unsolicited number of people from all all different sub-industries under the future of transportation, including like traditional automotive, um, kind of expressed their disappointment and sort of surpri- in, in surprise about the Argo thing. So that was kind of a theme while I was at the show. There were other themes, but that was one of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I have a lot more to say about it maybe in the future, but it's still a little emotional for me. 
Um, but it was good to know that people recognized like the good work that Argo did. But moving on, because <laughs> I, you know, it's it's still a little early soon for me. Moving on. Well, let's. I mean, Kirsten, I do you? I mean, you're the you're the journalist. Did you? I I certainly have a an opinion about what's sort of the biggest or most important thing that that we we saw um, or learned about uh, in LA, but. But like I said, you're the, you're the real journalist. What, what do you think was the most important thing? Okay. Well, I mean, I thought one of the more interesting and sort of milestone moments was the Waymo Zeker reveal, which was an event. And and yes, it was it was you know a pretty splashy event. And putting all that aside, um, Waymo doesn't really have a lot of these types of events. Um, I can't remember the last time they did. You know, they they tend to like you know, we'll put out a tweet and a blog post or, you know, but they haven't had like a big reveal. We've seen photos, of course, of, of this vehicle, but we haven't seen it up close and personal and really had a chance to talk to pe- people who are behind the design and the development of it. So I, to me, that was like a big moment, um, certainly um, in seeing directionally where they're going. I will say that, you know, We've seen Waymo make partnerships with automakers before. Um, so Stellantis is one. Um, and that was the Chrysler Pacifica. I don't know what the status of that relationship is. It seems like they've shifted their attention to uh, the Jaguar I-Pace as a robo-taxi and also potentially this new vehicle. So, you know, I, I there was a time when up to 20,000 Chrysler Pacific and minivans were going to be, you know, that was a big deal. I don't think that's going to happen. What do you think about the, what do you think about Uber driving? Was it like, or buying like a hundred thousand self-driving uh, uh, Mercedes S classes? You remember that? Yeah, that was probably exactly. like the, that was probably like the best, like peak AV hype headline. Yeah. It's like going to drive itself and Uber's going to buy like all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it felt like a little bit of a different era of, um, so I didn't get any like breathless announcements around, you know, 100,000 vehicles or 20,000 vehicles or anything like that, but more about, you know, this is our approach to the design. And you can kind of see directionally where Zeker, aka really, Geely is really willing to put money behind this. Um, they said that the vehicle was for the US. And I thought that was kind of interesting because, in terms of like, an interesting development for Waymo and also just audience acceptance, I would think that it would be great to launch that in China and that would give Waymo like an entry into China, but maybe that's, you know, too complicated. So um, yeah, I thought that was like probably the big, the biggest news out of, out of the week. May I offer a brief comment? Yeah, pure speculation. I have no insight of any kind, no insight into the future. Even though I added that to my title of LinkedIn. Um, okay. You know, this, you know, there was talk many years about two internets because of uh, China, Chinese government. You know, right. It's not. It, it's not impossible. You'll see two AV worlds. The one that is highly, highly, highly regulated um, and lives inside like a. A political and technical ecosystem, ecosystem um, determined by the Chinese government that's inside China and like states maybe along the Belt of the Road. If, if, that, if that's the whole thing. And then everything else. And so I think it's going to be harder than people um, realize for one stack to, lit, to exist in both worlds. Beyond that, I'm just. Yeah. What what like what are the factors that is it like an is it purely like an IP? Well, you, oh, think I mean look at this thing. The Chinese government's not going to they're not they're unlikely to be cool with a system rolling into China that they don't have insight or control or partial ownership, uh, and and vice versa. Uh, it's unlikely that a fully Chinese Chinese home and developed stack is going to roll out uh, in the West. And knowing how much has to go into deploying it. And knowing what future geopolitical tensions will likely look look like, it's a risk. There's a risk there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's been interesting because there's a number of Chinese companies operating in the U.S. and, um, or at least testing, maybe making talent plays. 
Um, only one, I think, has managed to go public, which is too simple. And they kind of position themselves as not a Chinese company. And at, at based based on um, CFIUS, they are you know selling off the Chinese portion. They have not been able to do that yet. Um, but if you don't go public, I think that there just doesn't seem to be a lot of scrutiny around Chinese companies coming to the U.S. and at least testing and doing some development here. Haven't seen too many actually successfully launch um, in the U.S. So, so maybe there will be a, a true separation. Although it seems easier to to operate in the United States as a, a Chinese company right. of any kind. Sorry, talking about Zika. Yeah, I wish we go back to Zika. Right. Well, yeah, I okay, mean, but, I feel like we're. I feel like the the geostrategic well, discussion. I mean, and can, you go on tangents all the time, so I'm sure we can do this one this once. Okay, one last comment on this. It is not think about what happened when Ukraine got invaded by the Russians. Yandex, Yandex's testing in the foreign East United States evaporated overnight. Overnight, and so you can see it's not unreasonable to believe that something happened with China that. You're going to see something interesting and somewhere play out after that. But back to the Zika. I thought it was really cool. Cool. Well, I mean, Zika is a Chinese you know, company, so that's why I brought it up. And I think that it's an interesting and important point to make that Waymo has this partnership with a company that is clearly putting money behind it. Um, and it is bound for the U.S., but it'll be interesting to see if Zika uses that SEA platform you know, they've said that it's going to be for logistics and other things, too, if they end up using it in other countries besides the U.S. Have you looked at Brightdrop? Have either of you got, uh, been in one or been close to a Brightdrop vehicle? A Brightdrop vehicle? Yeah. The GM Brightdrop platform. Have you been, have you right. been in one? Um, not inside one. It, it is. I mean, the, look at the bifurcation. So you see the, uh, you got the Zika vehicle, which is clearly meant to drive in one direction faster than the other. And then you've got the bi-directional vehicles from Zoots and GM, uh, the origin. And so that's a very clear dividing line. One is probably easier to digest for some folks than the other. Mm-hmm. Ed, what did you think of the design? Well, I mean, I think that I think what, what Alex just mentioned is probably one of the most important things. Um, this is the third robotaxi design, ground-up robotaxi design we've seen from a major L4 developer. And um, I think there's a pretty distinct contract i mean each one has its own sort of elements to it but i think you know right, right off the top of the bat um it's it's pretty obvious that the crews and the zooks um are kind of more similar in that they're you know kind of have these tall ceilings they're sort of more a box on wheels with lounge seating um and this waymo the first thing that they hit me right i mean the zeker it's the vehicle um that, that waymo is using is very low. Like it's, it's much more of a conventional vehicle. So it's, it's lower, it's sleeker and you kind of get down and, and sit into it. Like you do a normal vehicle rather than sort of walk into it. Like a, like the, the cruise and the Zooks. I haven't been inside the Zooks. Um, I've seen it in person. I haven't been inside of it. Um, but they, it just, they're, it's more of like this upright, like train car kind of feel in those two. And with this, it's, it's much more of a traditional vehicle. And I think, um, it, their reasons for doing it seem to be very pragmatic, and I think that's really interesting. That that sort of pragmatic uh, considerations um, are, are sort of more important in the design of this than than looking space age. I think that's a. Have I have seen the trunk capacity of the Origin? No. I yeah. Like luggage capacity. Well, I mean, I saw. I, I I think that the prototype has changed a little bit since its initial reveal. Um, what makes you say that? that? What? What makes you say that? Because I think that there's always going to be like small iterations that will happen. So I, and when they, when they let us in to see that, which was, um, when was that January, 2020, 2020. there, we just could see the, we could just sit into the seats. There was no like place to go check out like the, any storage space. My memory um, if my memory serves correctly, there wasn't like a place to go around the back and put your suitcases. It was more of like a subway situation in which you just have your luggage with you potentially. So the origin does. So I looked, I looked this up because I think that was one of the things that jumped out. Um, this is a, it's a directional, the Waymo is a directional design. The Zooks is very much a, a, a symmetric design. The, the cruise origin is a little bit in between. It does have a trunk. They did not 
I don't remember them opening it or, or highlighting it during the reveal, but I've subsequently gone and looked um, and there are pictures of it. And so it does have a trunk. Um, it, you know, I, so it looks like it might be a, a somewhat similar size. It might be a little smaller. I don't want to make like a big, a big judgment. So the Zeker has the, the, the three rear head rests kind of allow it you to stack up a lot more luggage there. And, and that doesn't seem to be the case in, in the origin. If I had to bet money right now, I would say the, the, the Zeker probably has more luggage capacity. Isn't the cruise vehicle like overall larger though? I, I, it's been two years, so or almost three. Yeah. So the, so yeah, but, and I think the Zooks is, and again, I haven't been inside the Zooks, but I think the Zooks is a little bit more intimate, but the, but the, the cruise is like a big spacious box. Um, and again, like the thing that it reminded me most of is, is like a train or something like a subway mm-hmm. almost um, with the, la- the lounge seating. And again, the Waymo and, and, and this, the, the roof is really tall on it. And again, this is the thing with the Waymo is it's got a very low or the Zeker, um, it's got a very low floor and, and a relatively very low roof compared to both the Zooks and the, um, so, so it looks sleeker. Um, and, and I think, and I'm trying to remember, I, I, I feel like I deserve someone, uh, someone deserves credit for this because I heard it from them and I, I don't remember who it was, but it strikes me as a really important point that like in the taxi business, one of the most important things is the airport route, right? That's one, it's what I take taxis for, uh, almost never <laughs> take taxis otherwise. Um, and a lot of times to get to airports, you need higher speeds. They are, they're, they're higher speed roads to the airports because they're a little bit outside of town. Oftentimes you have to get on a freeway or something. And sort of the argument that someone had made, and this was a while ago before we'd ever seen this vehicle. And, and again, for all I know, it might've been someone who, who was involved and was sort of hinting at what was to come here, but they were sort of saying that, you know, you, you want something that's more, um, sort of aerodynamic and, and directional and, and capable of, of, you know, higher speeds. And, and the Waymo definitely seems to be that relative to these sort of, more dense, urban, low-speed-oriented box-on-wheels designs that we see from um, from the the, the cruising zooks. The, the thing I will say, though, the, uh, uh, Waymo says that the having all the seating like a conventional vehicle is about motion sickness, and that lounge seating increases the the risk of motion sickness. I think that's it's going to be really interesting to see. We can't judge that until we ride in it. It'll be really interesting to see if that's true. What I wonder, though, is that what what the the Zeker has that none of the other vehicles have is this giant windshield for the front passengers, big windshield. And it's like, there's no hood or whatever. It's an electric vehicle. So it's sort of like a windshield. And then like the wheels are right there. And I wonder, because it is a little disconcerting the first time you ride a fully driverless vehicle, I wonder what that sensation is going to be like. And if that's going to be a cool thing or going to be a disconcerting thing. Well, at low speed, you're uh Nobody cares. Like, think about it. Like, you want to, like, you're hopefully, if the vehicle is accelerating gently and braking comfortably, it doesn't matter if you can see or not because you're probably looking at your phone. But uh, if you are seeing higher speeds, you want to have a sense of some spatial awareness, situational awareness, which would mitigate possible nausea due to, like, just physics of of vehicles, acceleration, deceleration. So, honestly, I would much rather be at highway speeds and a vehicle where I'm facing forward and have a view, like more visibility. And studies that have shown that this is more company for the passengers. Yeah. Um, I thought it was also interesting that in the Zeker Waymo vehicle, that in the front seat, if, if you're listening to this, if you can imagine, you know, this, as Ed described, this massive, you know, windshield and sort of front dash area. And then there are these two little black, kind of looking glossy little orbs that are on either side. And I was like, wow, what is this? And they're the air, where the airbags are stored because there's no steering wheel. There's no like other, you know, traditional sort of dash glove box sort of situation where you would have airbags. Um, but the other interesting thing was that they have it designed so that you could add a steering wheel if you wanted, which is important for FMVSS um, regulations, right? So if they don't, if it's going to be above 25 miles an hour, then they, it's not just a low speed vehicle. And then they have to have a steering wheel unless they get special approval from the federal government. So they can just have that steering wheel in there in the meantime, um, which I thought was an interesting and smart approach. Yeah. So, so the other thing by not having lounge seating, um, 
the Waymo also has a lot more, or the Zika has a lot more screens for, for passengers. I think that's a really interesting, again, just sort of insight. And, and it's funny, Kirsten, because it reminded me of, of 2019 um, when you and I went to Phoenix and um, I got to ride in the, uh, it was the first time uh, I was able to, we were able to ride in the, in the driverless Waymo. And like, they, they, the people they made available to talk to while we were there were, were actually people from the UX team. And, um, and, and so it was obviously for a number of years now, Waymo has been, I think more focused on some of the UX aspects of the robo taxi business than, than some of the other players in the space. And it's interesting that instead of having these lounge, you know, seating where, you know, you're not really, you're not like looking out the windshield, there are windows sort of off to the side, but you're not like, you're not like necessarily taking in the view you don't have a screen right in front of you. The implication of the lounge seating setup is is sort of that people want to get, travel in a group and talk to each other and everything. And like that strikes me as a as a as a questionable proposition, you know, in terms of user experience. And I do wonder to to me, and that, and that's a cool thing I think with this Waymo, we're talking about sort of why this is sort of how this is symbolic of where the of where the sector is to me like i see a lot of pragmatism in the design of this vehicle whereas i feel like some of the earlier robo taxi designs with all due respect to the companies who did them and 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 like th- this is a preliminary opinion and until we write it none of this means anything really it's all speculative but like i feel like this design is just much more pragmatic and less about creating the impression that this is this new sexy futuristic robo taxi thing um, and I think that's an interest that marks an interesting shift. Alex, do you, do you agree? I agree. And uh, my initial thought, and then we should go to the next topic, is that all, a lot there's been a lot of hype around in car in vehicle entertainment, especially around AV. You know, the average commute is what twenty two minutes. So like this notion of like home theaters, like in vehicles, and like immersive experiences around audio and video in vehicles, <laughs> there's something to it. But the content. Like the pipeline of content coming out of it doesn't um, isn't optimized for that, and and the content which is optimized, like say YouTube channels and TikTok, people consume on their phones and on tablets. And I think there's a lot more friction. Um, there's a lot more friction and money lost around trying to shoehorn content into in vehicle hardware and screens than a lot of companies realize. There is, I don't want to give it away. I have a startup idea around this. But I haven't seen anyone get near this well yet, and I'm just not not buying it. In the same way that you see you see um, screens in vehicles, I'll give you an example. So my daughter, she's 24. She has an iPad. It has a pink rubber case shaped like a butterfly. The wings are the stamp. She loves that thing. It doesn't matter how big a screen is. She gets in a robot taxi. She ain't using the vehicle hardware to watch videos. She's got a thing with her. She's watching on that. And all the time and money spent on integrating stuff into a vehicle you don't own is a waste. The future which we're consuming content in vehicles using in-vehicle hardware is it's out there, but it's going to be when you see privately owned vehicles with autonomous capability. And I think I think that people are having expensive less to learn. And just today, Amazon announced that they are going to cut back. They announced it, or just a rumor, Kirsten. They're going to cut back on Alexa investments, like the voice control investments. Am I, is that right? I'm on vacation right now, so I'm not following. I mean, I, they're kind of cutting back on everything. Well, they should invest more in Alexa because it's garbage. Um, and any and, and, and any automaker that has uh, integration with them, I feel badly for them because it's also garbage because I've tested all those vehicles. The end. <laughs> well, I think act one of not just AV, but in-vehicle entertainment is, is done. I'm going to move into act two. It's going to be a, a quieter quite Should we move on to the next topic? So the only thing I'll, well, yeah, just to close that up, I will say this. I do think that in the robo taxi, you know, form factor that UI and UX is in a kind of transitory moment here because it is very important to not deliver content like Spotify and radio, blah, blah, because almost all of it is not the best, but really more communicating what the experience is, where you're going, how, you know, that type of messaging. Um, So when I I did a driverless ride in a Waymo um, Jaguar I-Pace in downtown Phoenix a few weeks ago, and um, they had a bunch of new features, Ed, since the last time we were in it. And or in we were in the Chrysler Pacifica, but since we've been in their driverless vehicles. And one of them is, um, you know, there's constant information 
going, coming to you, showing you where you are and, and, you know, how far away you are from, you know, your destination, things like that. But now when you stop and you're about to get out, it actually alerts you not as a general alert, like, Hey, be careful. There might be a car coming or there might be a bicycle coming. No, it only cues you when there is actually something coming. So it'll say bicycle coming up behind you. So that I think is a really interesting, important decision because if they just gave a general announcement every time, people will start ignoring that. But when it's actually real information in real time, then people will always or should continue to listen and pay attention to it. So I do think that like right now, that type of content is important and there should be time and effort dedicated to it. But I also agree with you that like the larger discussions about some captured audience and people using these screens for TikTok and other stuff, they're just going to go to their phones. So it's kind of like, what is what what are these screens being used for right now? It's so new. I think they're educational right now. Yeah, I'm not going to the Eliana show. I think I, I would just say I think the the at, at a high level, I think probably most people would rather if they get into a taxi would rather just like watch some content on the screen. Maybe they don't have the right content for it now, but but I just I don't think people when they think of of autonomous vehicles, they don't think like oh I'm going to do that to have a social experience, which I think is what lounge seating implies or if not promises. So anyway, but but we have time to hash these things out. We we already know the, the history that's already been written. There have been screens and taxis in New York City for decades. They suck. Like that like that business sucks. Like that needs to be totally rather like rebooted. Um and it's not what people think. Yeah, no I agree. I don't I don't but can we talk about the LA Auto show because Yes, please. Why don't you kick I wanna know which what did you like best of the LA Auto show? Or worse? Well, I will say I was like surprised that the Toyota Prius looked as good as it did. It's not a pure EV, obviously. I mean, that, but it just was like, it was interesting. And I sort of wrote about this in my newsletter, but um, I've heard like little rumblings here and there, actually from three different people, um, that there was kind of some internal discussions about like the direction of the Prius and whether it should just be the like ride hailing commodity vehicle, let it be ugly, let it just be its thing or whether some investment should be made in redesigning it. And, you know, that was the, the, there was this choice to go there and it's been received really well. So I thought that was interesting. Um, Definitely saw, you know, lots of EVs, Uh, surprisingly a couple, maybe three different hydrogen fuel cell type, things on the show floor. One was a startup Hyundai had theirs and I'm forgetting the other one, um, which I hadn't really seen too much. Um, livelier than last year, still quieter than pre COVID. <laughs> For me, the absolute best part of the show was that Hyundai concept, which is what the new DeLorean should be, but isn't. Well, so it's interesting um, that you say DeLorean. Um, so this is the N vision 74 concept. So N is the N brand is the performance brand under Hyundai. And this was another hydrogen fuel cell, um, uh, vehicle. That was the third one. Basically they want this to kind of hint at maybe where the, their future of electrification is going to be, which is a, um, which is this, uh, hydrogen fuel cell, I believe, take. But the the concept isn't, if you call it a DeLorean, and I know that that visually looks like it, but Hyundai was very um, quick to point out that the person behind the, the design of the 1974 Hyundai Pony Coupe concept. Um, Let's look it up. Is the same designer someone, as DeLorean? Yeah, a little, a little someone called Giordetto Giugiaro. Some may have may have heard of him. So, well, they should, they should, the new DeLorean company should have hired this guy. We are, I think, we are at a place in our popular culture where people see a Giugiaro design and they they're like, oh, it's a Del- it's a DeLorean, right? So, so Hyundai Bless was very quick to Hyundai was very quick to you know point that out. Um, 
But the interesting thing about the concept, besides visually the design, which I thought was very cool, is that it's this um, hydrogen fuel set hybrid concept. Um, and the idea being that this is sort of potentially with the future of the N brand. Um, it's like vision for electrification, which is, you know, fuel cell hybrid. Uh, so we'll see if that plays out. It definitely was the best and most interesting looking vehicle, I thought. Um, although I did also like Hyundai's Ionic uh, 6, which um, was also revealed. Yeah, it's wait, it's, the 6 is, is that the one where like, the back looks like it's melting? Sure. It's got a little bit of first, is it first generation Mercedes CLS kind of kind of feel to it? A kind of banana? Have you guys watched the Frank Stevenson YouTube channel, the, uh, the car designer? No. So he uh, he's a very charismatic character. He uh, will you know kind of discuss uh, de- deconstruct car designs. If the, the first generation CLS had its detractors, but it's it was one of the clients. That concept of like the drooping rear, I'm just gonna say because I really love Hyundai as a brand today, and I loved it, uh, almost their whole lineup. I think that CLS Gen 1 was better executed rear end than the Ionic 6. Um, mm, but okay. I admire them, the audacity and the courage to put that out there, like dwarfs any any of the, there's no courage, design courage coming out of the Mercedes these days. Not, certainly not in the EQS range. I liked just how visually different it is from the five. Like, it, you know, it was, you know, like swoopy, you know, the six is like this kind of swoopy, as you said, like this melting back and like almost a coupe. And then the five is like sharp angles and very kind of futuristic sort of looking for a little hatchback. And it actually looks fast based on its visual, their exterior. So I thought that was interesting that like, it was so so different. Um, Courage. You know, except for, for the badging. I, I admire them. I mean, it's like Citroën, you know, in the uh, in the early days. There was courage there. And sometimes they knock out of the park. And even the, even the non-best designs had courage. And, and Honda has it today. A lot of brands don't. What else did you like? And? Sorry? He didn't like anything. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> well, oh, you said what now. else did I like? I mean, I haven't even yeah, said one yeah, thing that I liked. I don't like. I don't like cars, you, like you guys. Anything? I don't like well, anything. No, everything's right, terrible. So for the car enthusiasts out there, uh, there were people debating whether or not the uh, Porsche 911 Dakar Off-Road Edition would sell. What do you think? <laughs> I think it sold out in probably less than an hour. Yeah, uh, before anyone saw what it looked like, it was done. Yeah, Ed? yeah. Future mobility is here, and it's an off-road 911. You you take something cool and you 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 know add some some lit. You lift it a little bit, and people will think it's even cooler. Like this is a I mean there well, are some well-trodden cool path here. Yeah, well-trodden, <laughs> but there is some cool there is some cool interesting stuff that they did with that vehicle. They put a lot of lightweighting in it, like a carbon fiber hood, and they did this like more lightweight glass. They took out the back seats. They changed the whole like where the cooling systems are. They have this special uh, tires that have like this, they call it like a double carcass. So it's like double line. So it doesn't get sidewall punctures. And it's the first 911 to actually have like, you can change the suspension Um, and it has two modes. So they kind of like changed, I think the differential. So there was like less slip. So you can like punch it in rally mode while you're in like, you know, gravel or whatever sand. So it's great. If you live in the desert, you know, and you want to, yeah. it's great if you never take it out of downtown LA. It's, it's great. It's going to be it's great for for people who live in nice neighborhoods that still have like a pothole or two. You know, I, I got to say, I, I hope I hope at least a few people use it because it was it is pretty cool. Um, you know, do I think that people are going to get the uh, the tent and and put it on the rack and use yes, it? No, yes, but someone yes, should. Yes. Yeah. They're not going to use it, but they're going to get the tent. It's so cool. Oh, yeah, the tent, but they <laughs> they're going to use it for its intended purposes, which is like Instagram photos. Like it's lifestyle, lifestyle. You're so, you both are so cynical. Well, I'll tell you. No, what, I'm not cynical. 
If Porsche were to give me that vehicle, then I would gladly four wheel take it out by El Centro and do the dunes and camp camp on that in that tent and yeah. If 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 you had if you didn't have to like of course, but like in in the real world, the best vehicle for going off road in is the cheapest shittiest truck that you can find because guess what? Like if you're actually taking something out in the middle of nowhere, obviously it needs to be like reliable and things like that. You don't want to get stranded, but like fundamentally, you're vehicle is going to get trashed if you're actually like having any okay. any real fun I, I with think, it and so like it, like if you can I afford to trash story. a 911 I, love, I, like, love I mean i don't know about you but i can afford to trash a 911 dakar let, let me say i, I actually really a financially uh, good business these days it's a the 911 dakar is brilliant uh and but it's and it, i think it's actually uh, honest because there was one, um, what the nine fifty nine, so many off road version years ago. Whereas, like the Lamborghini off road edition, like the what is it? The, is it a Huracan off road? I don't know what the hell it is. Like that thing. You're not talking about not the Urus SUV. No, not the Urus SUV. Oh, There's okay. an actual like off road, like plasticized Lamborghini uh, coupe that's come out, and to me, that thing is um, doesn't. That doesn't sit with me as well as the 911 car, which I think is fantastic. So you talk about um, Hyundai's design being being really good. Um, to me, like one of the, I think especially in this day and age, like hallmarks of good design is that it's very hard to tell. You want there, it to be very difficult to tell what is a concept and what is a production vehicle. And I think if you look at Genesis's, the Genesis stand, they had what their, uh, was it the G, was it G90? <laughs> They're, they're big. They're big. Are you talking about the Genesis X convertible? I, I was trying cool. to. So cool. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you were, they, had, they, they had on their stand, they had the G90, which is a sedan you can go out to a Genesis dealership and buy today. And next to it, they had a concept, which is sort of a large sort of personal luxury convertible that is a concept that you cannot buy today. And, you know, the, the convertible is – you know, if you had to guess, if someone held a gun to your head and said, which is the concept and which is the production car, you'd probably guess. But they look similar enough that I think they're doing what, what car companies have to do, which is stop making – I mean, I don't want to say stop making goofy concepts you're never going to build because, like, Alex's favorite car at the show was was one of those. But, like, you know, at some point like – I, like, I feel like if Tesla does one good thing for the auto industry, I, I, I hope – one of them is that, you know, we get to a point where when, when automakers start showing cars that there's some intention to build something that is quite similar to that. And like, I think the days where you just put something out there that everyone knows you're never going to build, it's like, right. why should I care about it other than for this one moment where it's like the coolest car I saw that day? Right, right, right. Yeah. Did either um, you see the Lucid uh, Gravity SUV in person? They haven't, they didn't show it. We were all at that event and they did a handover event of the touring, not to be confused with the grand touring. So this is a less expensive, um, version. And then, um, they also have the pure, which is I think now going to be the cheapest version of the lucid air. Um, and then they, all they did was really show like a video of the gravity. The only thing I've heard, like more concrete information from some insiders is that, and this is like not exactly shocking or surprising, but the same kind of um, trim levels that we saw in the air, we're going to see in the gravity. So there'll be a Sapphire edition and there'll be a touring and a grand touring and a, you know, Um, but other than that, I think people are kind of wondering and waiting what's going on with that, um, with the gravity. I mean, I was just—I was going to say—it it doesn't look like, from what we what we can see, it doesn't look like they're falling into the like Model X trap of like, you know, their second vehicle being totally crazy. It looks like it is a fairly like modest uh, change, which suggests that it is going to be sort of like a, an actual profit building <laughs> exercise and not just a like, how cool can we make our second our second vehicle? And yeah, thirty I seconds mean, or less. <laughs> well, I think that they go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say. Um, Mercedes has the EQS SUV out. In fact, it's getting delivered to my house here shortly. And I've had the, um, I've already driven it a little bit. And the software in the one I drove was quite good. And the voice was great. And I just, like they've, Luces has said that they're competing against like the Mercedes S-Class. And like, I'm assuming the EQS SUV will, will be their competitor. That's where they put themselves and I think that there will they will have a market, but they are facing tough competition from 
Mercedes in this case, um, because it's software works is super reliable. Like Lucid's made some important software updates, but it's not perfect yet. Um, I've been in very few vehicles where it is, to be honest, but like they still have some work to do. Is the, I mean, is the new Mercedes software, like the screen manipulation and refresh stuff, is that fast? Is it good? Is it as good as a Tesla? Um, it's like, if you've been in a modern, any modern Mercedes with MBUX system, I mean, it's the MBUX system. Um, is everything perfect in there? No, but I would say that the voice is some of the best voice that I've encountered in any automaker. And so I can very easily without a mistake, say, turn off the head up display, turn on the climate fan to two. I'm hot. I'm cold. Turn on the radio and there call my mom and every single one of those instruct, um, you know, uh, questions, has failed in every other vehicle I've, um, you know, tested at some point. And so to me, um, you know, I have yet to find a perfect vehicle in terms of software, UI, UX, and voice, but Mercedes comes, has come a long way. Let's just put it that way. And I I think that their natural language processing is excellent. And um, they've really improved in terms of like, that and it's a similar price point to the lucid is my point like um lucid is a cool car it drives great it's it's you know it, it's it's cool i i had an issue i should say on my way out to to la um and i was driving it and the software threw a um an error where it went into limp mode um twice both times it recovered but the company was very concerned that it would happen again. And it just so happened that I was in close proximity to the person who had delivered me the vehicle. So they chose to, or we agreed to trailer the vehicle. Um, and then I have a new one. I drove it back from LA, the new one, and it's been fine and fantastic and no problems, but, um, you know, obviously not ideal for them. Um, I just think that they have, they're facing competition from established companies that have been making vehicles for a long time. So we'll see how the gravity does, but you know, the EQS SUV is already on the market. On the other hand, they're also competing for a segment that was created by a company that is like hardly synonymous with bulletproof quality and reliability, right? Sure. Well, (laughs) uh, of course. And I think that there's a lot of interest in the company. And again, the car drives excellent. Like, it is a very quiet vehicle. It drives really well. Like, um, you know, I was pushing the vehicle and I was probably driving faster to get the a range that, you know, someone might really want. Like I stopped, you know, more than probably I needed to, or I should have had if I'd been driving a little slower. Um, but the charging was super easy. They have a relationship with Electrify America. So it's like, you know, there are a lot of good aspects around lucid and i think you're right that a lot of people who are going for that vehicle have like a higher level of tolerance for things many of them were tesla owners um previously um i'm just saying that you're starting to see more in the luxury segment actual luxury automakers also getting into here and some are producing you know pretty nice vehicles i actually like the eqs I like the EQS SUV better than the EQS. I actually don't really love the EQS. If you're if you're taller than five ten, you can't sit in the back seat. All right, so it's too question slow. for you two. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few days ago, a story came out about how Mercedes um, wants to offer a subscription, twelve hundred dollars a year for some like very minor acceleration improvement to your EQ series vehicle. Twelve hundred dollars, not one time per year. Uh, and you know, I was re- I was struck recently. You know, Motor Trend put out this um, like sponsored video, Qualcomm uh, sponsored video called about software defined vehicles. And so, there, I think this is strange from investors and media and leadership of OEMs. This notion that a software defined vehicle m- means you have to create recurring subscription revenue. Okay, so let's bu- let's just say that there's something to it. Tesla's offering like a $2,000 one-time performance upgrade to your to my Model 3, for example. I didn't get it. I don't care because the stock Tesla Model 3 long range is as fast as a brand new BMW M5, which I race cross-country. So we are 
fully commoditized performance in EV powertrains. What I, what I fail to understand is how OEM leadership can so, I think, profoundly misjudge the psychology of customers. Uh, there is no real value to pay, pay 1200 bucks for more performance in your EV. It's certainly not like a little bit of acceleration. Um, there's a lot of value to being seen in it in, the, in, in a cool car, whether it's got an extra 0.5 second acceleration or not. And so this, what Musk figured out is that Tesla nailed the concept of virtue signaling and vice signaling in one car. You could say I'm green and my car is super fast, but Musk has not like gone other than FSD beta subscriptions for 200 bucks a month. Um, and I think your premium connectivity subscription must have not like gone all in on the concept of subscription. So you don't subscribe to your cloud performance. Um, you pay for it once you don't subscribe to it. And there's, I think, um, I don't want to say contempt, but people don't like doing taking advantage of. So when Mercedes says, we'll let you subscribe to your performance or, but, and Rebido, you says you could subscribe to, uh, what is it? Some comfort, comfort feature. I think they're really misjudging the psychology of customers, and I think that's not going to go well. I just don't think so. Oh, I I 100% agree. And it's, um, you know, while I will say that I like the EQS SUV, I do think companies like Mercedes are completely misjudging it. And they're just like, it's another example of where legacy automakers are like, where else can I like squeeze more money out of the consumer? And, and, um, I think that like with BMW, for example, um, there was, there was a lot of anger from, from owners when there was some proposals, I think, or maybe even they actually executed like, you know, you can pay for heated seat upgrades or, you know, like this subscription product, people don't want to be really like nickel and dimed, especially if they like feel like it should already be standard in a vehicle that they've paid a lot of money for. Um, I think that like the car subscription, like messing around, automakers are going to tinker around with this and make a lot of mistakes. Um, They're viewing it as a software as a service company. And I get the under, I get the, I get the like inclination for that, but they're just coming across as you used to pay a lot of money for all these features. Now you're paying a lot of money for all these features plus even more money every year. And I don't think consumers are going to want that. that. That's where a company like Lucid could actually gain ground by not being like, we don't do that. You know, we just give it to you all at once. Well, and that's the the crazy thing is, is that, as you say, like, like car prices in general are are crazy high. Like they, they just keep going up and up and up average transaction prices. Average transaction price for EVs is something like 20,000 on average above sort of what an, it's more like a, like a premium vehicle um, or a luxury. It's comparable to luxury, what luxury, you know, cars, you know, transact at. And, and yeah, like trying to layer subscriptions on top of that without necessarily having the like, you know, really compelling value proposition that, that makes people say, well, you know, I mean, we don't love, paying every month for my car, but I'll do it. Like these, this is tough. And especially there was a story and like, this is just so obvious. Like, like both, if you look at the, you know, what the, the average price of EVs, but also just sort of the culture that's been around EVs for the last few years, you know, uh, Bloomberg just had a story about how basically like what's happening in the EV market in the U S is not sort of broad adoption. It's you have super users, essentially. There are people who have a are wealthy and who think that EVs and having the latest, coolest EV is, is a, um, you know, a status symbol. And, and the problem is like, you know, when you have a downturn, especially when that hits the tech sector and especially when that hits, you know, cryptocurrency, which is a lot of people's, you know, sort of play money is and, and, and things like that. And, and you have a market that is depending on a relatively small number of people, like buying lots of cars all the time in order to keep this, like, a premium EV spend. And again, like, you know, Lucid, they're doing a lot of things right. There's a lot of other companies that I think are doing a lot of things right. But like this, the entire EV market as exists in the US may very well be a uh, uh, a short-term bubble that, that I mean, I'm not saying that EV sales are just going to go away. I'm just saying like, we, there's only so long we can go on having a very small, very expensive EV market and telling ourselves that like, this is, this is mass adoption when it's, it's not, actually moving in that direction it's just the same people buying fancier and cooler cars 
Yeah. So that's one thing that I wanted to, to mention. Um, now I know a lot of times in auto shows, they're showing like the best newest thing. And, you know, it, certain car shows in particular will have, you know, a huge luxury segment, but there was not a single vehicle that was shown or has been introduced that is all electric. That was even in the arena of being affordable. The closest potentially is going to be the Fiat 500e, which they showed three one-offs of from like Armani and um, Cartel and others, but they're not even bringing that all electric vehicle to the U.S. or to North America until early 2024, and it's it's selling really well in Europe right now. So when we, um, you know, they do the classic presentations, and then you can do the little scrum afterwards. And when you know went up there, and it was very clear from the brand CEO that you know. They're like, it's selling well in Europe. We don't even have to come here, but we are. And we're going to go after urban environments and we're just going to see what happens. And it was like a big experiment, but that was the only smallish, likely slightly more affordable, but still not, it's not that cheap of a vehicle that was even shown. The, the last thing, so, the I mean, last thing yeah. everything is huge. Everything is expensive. You know, mm-hmm. like where is the small fun like i guess the the hyundai ionic 5 would be like the closest and that's not exactly a cheap car no i mean so so to me the the last thing i want to say about this because like it, it just encapsulates the pathology of of the moment that we've been in so well is that you see a certain type of person who's you know been able to get a big audience lately or whatever and and they look at a vehicle like this new this new prius and they're like oh wow i you know why why can't that just be electric and like to me, that's the psychology here. It's that it's that if it's if it looks good and it's cool, that like electric has to be part of it. But those two things come first. It's not I need an electric, right? This is not people who who have either a commitment to the environment or who have put any real thought into the differences between electric vehicles and and other vehicles and and what they're like. It's, it's just purely a hype beast thing. And I think you know the fact that people see something like that and it's like, guess what? That Prius, yes, it looks good, but it's also can be affordable and it can also literally serve everybody, you know, who like, like anybody coming from a gas vehicle doesn't have to think twice. They don't have to put a charger at home. They don't have to think about roadshow. They don't have to think any, about anything and they can make a real move in a positive direction in terms of their emissions. And, and like hope maybe, maybe we'll see a moment where this, this EV sort of hype kind of kind of pops a little bit. Again, I don't think EVs are just going to disappear, but I think maybe having a, a hot looking Prius might be like the thing that catalyzes people to start to realize, guess what? Like a thing doesn't have to be a pure electric vehicle for it to be cool and good looking and like positive, a, a positive direction to go for, for cars. And it can be one, and it can be one vehicle. So that's a different, these, um, you know, you don't have to have three vehicles and one of them electric. It can be your only car. I would, I got to, I would, happily own a plug-in hybrid Prius. I think it's really that, that new one. That's cool. Um, all right. Anything else? Party shots? I'm done. I think it's a good place to wrap for now. Um, I, so we are going to have some folks from Waymo on to talk more about the, the, the RoboTaxi, I think, right? Yes. Okay. And and I do think I think it'd be fun to talk. I had, I had a great time talking to some of the folks from Zeeker. Um, I feel like I understand that company a lot better than I did before. And I think that would be some, something interesting to discuss. Um, but we'll have to do that on another episode of the Tomcast. 